So we're now living in a time of complete narcissistic greed and self-protection from the elites. And I have to bring in here the pattern of history, which is something I rely on now, of what every civilization goes through manifests in its last stage. We are in the last stage. It's a global calamity. I'm Janet Ioli, and you're listening to Power Presence Academy, practical wisdom for leaders. If you're looking for leadership mentoring, advice, or just a dose of inspiration, I've got you covered. Join me as I share leadership tips and lessons of experience from experts and from executives at the top of their game. This is your go-to place for all things leadership. It doesn't have to be lonely at the top. Let's go. One of the things that I like to do on this podcast is not really just talk about leadership tips and steps or here's four things you need to do to delegate or build a skill, but really have a little bit deeper conversations about issues regarding leadership and what type of leader and what type of person we need to become in order to lead effectively. And one of the things that I really try to do is find people to talk to on this podcast that have really influenced my thinking over the years as well. And one of the people that I was delighted to have as a guest today is Dr. Margaret Wheatley. And I had read her book, Leadership in the New Science, which is a classic book on leadership years ago. And I remember just being blown away by some of the things that she talked about. And really, she, what she did in that book is she took the area of quantum physics and systems, and she related them to leadership and how it impacts how we lead. And she has been on the cutting edge of that kind of thinking for many years. And so it's my pleasure to have a conversation with her today to just expose you to some of her current thinking. Because now Margaret is focused on creating warriors, as she calls them, for the human spirit. And she's talking about creating leaders who will advocate for real change in the world. So I am thrilled to have her on the show today. And I think you'll be really, really in for a treat as you listen to her and you listen to some of her thinking. I will tell you, you're in for a wild ride because Margaret goes deep. And I really enjoyed having this conversation with her, especially after reading her work over the years. Just so you know a little bit more about her, she has written 10 books, including, of course, the classic leadership and the new science, as I mentioned. And she's been honored for her pathfinding work over the years. She's, you know, got a doctorate from Harvard. She's just an amazing person and an amazing soul. 
So join me as we have a conversation today about what she's doing now, about her new book coming out, and just some of her thoughts on leadership. This episode is episode one of a two-part series of our conversation. Hope you enjoy and tune in next week to hear the rest of it. So I'm so delighted to have you here today, Meg. Just to start out, I think it's helpful for the audience. If you could just tell us a little bit about the person who is talking to us today and how did you get to do what you do? (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I've realized, and I think this is important, is I never felt stopped by circumstances. And I had an extremely powerful grandmother, Irma Lindheim, who was a great feminist leader. And her influence on me grows. And she was alive until I was 35. So it was a big influence. But also, I just had very good fortune in that when I felt I should do something, it became possible. It wasn't a question of money or status. It was just a real sense of, yeah, I can do this. And sometimes people would tell me, well, you don't know how close it was (laughs) that we didn't accept you into Harvard and such. But it was like, I always had the sense of good fortune, but also tied to great curiosity. Hmm. I was going to ask you right there when you said good fortune, I was going to say, do you really think it was good fortune or what else? No, I think it was karma, actually. (laughs) No, seriously. Yeah, I do. And having my grandmother's influence was profound. And my, I grew up in a working class family, but from an aristocratic Jewish family in the 1800s. Mix mash. But I've always been curious and I've always had a great mind. I didn't know I had a great mind until people started telling me that because you just think, well, everyone understands these things. So, and I was able to go out into the world and live in different cultures, but I went into the Peace Corps in 1966 in post-war career. So one could say that was an act of courage. I just thought it was the right thing to do. And it was. I learned profound truths about being part of the human family, even in a totally foreign culture. And then I had great teachers, just wonderful teachers, both academic and spiritual. So And in the midst of it, I raised a very large family because I married a widower who had five children, aged five to 16. And then we added two more. So seven kids. And, uh, (laughs) but I ran it like an organization for a while. But I've just been blessed, really. And I'm blessed right now with sufficient health to keep going. It's interesting as you describe your story. I'm thinking when you mentioned the word karmic, we don't talk about that very much, right? We hide that under the table. But so, what do you think was karmic about your journey? I'm just curious. Oh, this is a much longer but interesting (laughs) conversation, I, I believe. And you have to understand that I've been a Tibetan Buddhist and now I'm living Indian yogi for. I don't know, 40 years. So this is not a trivial statement when I say it's karmic. I've just been prepared for this particular life of dealing with leadership and leaders and being out in the world. And that comes from many past life experiences. And I had to deal with all the negative things I've done as well. But 
I just had entree and I had acceptance and I had curiosity and great teachers. So, yeah, I know that's a whole other. It is. (laughs) Right. But I bring it up because I think it's so relevant to what we're going to be talking about today as we go a little deeper and talk about things like consciousness and, and those things, which we often sometimes ignore or don't understand. But I know you wrote the iconic book, Leadership in the New Science where you started to bring some of these things early on into leadership in terms of quantum theory, et cetera. And that was a while back and it was tremendously successful at the time. So I'm going to ask you what motivated you to write that book at that time. And I'm just going to stay in the mystic zone with you. Yeah, I really, I want to hear. And also what message, obviously there's a really strong message in that book that you were trying to convey. That I did not understand. Yeah. So talk about that a little. Okay. So I just finished my 12th book, which is called Restoring Sanity, right on the heels of Who Do We Choose to Be, which is a new book, second edition. that just came out in June. And the reason I can write books so quickly and so well is that I never write a book until it tells me to write it. So I'm instantly in a relationship, not with my own desire for fame or attention, but for, I get a clear message that this book is here, you're the author of it, and then it becomes a vehicle for me to bring in all my experience. So I'm not channeling books, but it has a clear voice for me when I start to write it. Well, with leadership in the new science, I was so fascinated by chaos theory and quantum theory, but I got it right in that book. But now I know what I didn't know if I wrote it. What was that? What did I really didn't this is getting very technical in physics. I didn't really understand the difference between strange attractors and chaos theory or we don't need to go into that. Right. But I wrote about it correctly. And then I learn more and more. And, but I have to say, my naivete at that point, and this is a major learning, is I thought good ideas with evidence <laughs> changed thinking. So I thought when leaders would read of how much power there is in organizing for free, setting up the conditions for self organization the way that all life does with great evidence for increased productivity, outstanding motivation, real connection to purpose and meaning in the work without rules and regulations just completely oppressing us. I thought that would be a slam dunk, and it wasn't. (laughs) So that was the beginning of my own journey, and I wrote about it in subsequent editions of Leadership in the New Science of what it takes to change a paradigm. And now we are so far beyond any possibility of changing the paradigm, changing the way we operate. So I'm just fast forwarding us now, 30 years later, to Leadership New Science came out in 1992 when I wrote who do we choose to be, which is about facing reality, claiming our leadership and restoring sanity. I wrote that 
using the same science to describe where we are today. And then the second edition that's just come out, same title, but completely new book inside, because I kept noticing where we are. And that's been, I would say, that's the gift of insight that I both was given and developed over many years and experiences. So where we are now compared to where we were 30 years ago is an entirely new, startlingly destructive time. And And what's the common denominator in your opinion? Obviously there's humanity there, right? We could start with our humanity because I think this new book, Restoring Sanity, will come out in March next year and it's about how do we work with the human spirit because we have our animal nature our neurobiology that is all predetermined how we respond to fear and that is truly a reptilian brain right it's very primitive and it's automatically stimulated when we're in fear so just look at the amount of fear that is out there now. Some of it is very legitimate, like climate catastrophes, and yet we deny that one. <laughs> right. And some of it is deliberately imposed by leaders in order to control us. So when we're working with how we are biologically determined, we behave like animals, right? We go for survival. So this is the common explanatory for why everything right now is so disastrously destructive of the future and of human potential. The other side of our nature, which takes work, is our human consciousness. And it's not just about taking the time to activate our frontal lobes where we hold all our qualities for vision, contemplation, imagination, innovation, all the things we say we want. We cannot access that unless we are deliberately focused on becoming conscious, on reducing the things that trigger us, of really wanting to be not locked into this denial or not locked into this feeling of I have to protect myself because it is a terrible world out there. So that is the common explanatory. And the other common explanatory is leadership, how leaders behave. So we're now living in a time of complete narcissistic greed and self-protection from the elites. And I have to bring in here pattern of history, which is something I rely on now, of what every civilization goes through manifests in its last stage. We are in the last stage. It's a global calamity. But one of the things that characterizes that time is that the elites grab everything for themselves. They don't care about us. That was saying that 15 years ago. But now it's like you look at all these decisions and behaviors and it's pure self-service at a corporate greed level. It's pure self-service at a political level. There's no other understanding, I think, that's possible except to see 
our political and corporate leaders are just trying to claim everything for themselves and to hell with the rest of us, to hell with the planet. So leaders have always striven to amass power and wealth. That's human history. I'm pretty well informed now. I had a major in history. I've never lost that (laughs) fascination. So if we're looking for common denominators, first is human nature, and second is leadership and how it manifests itself. We always create civilizations, empires that are hierarchical. It's just part of the human DNA. And we always create structures, infrastructures, courts of law, art, religion, and we always create beauty. But the beauty of the artist is usually expressed at the end. Mm-hmm. Not in the midst of a civilization. It's not part of its flowering, actually. It's part of the last expression. So we have common denominators in the pattern of history of civilizations. We have common denominators of how do humans behave, just wherever we are. This is not culturally dependent. And then how do leaders always behave? As you talk, I so resonate with what you're describing. And I also wonder, you you mentioned a little bit about consciousness. So can consciousness be elevated? Can that change? Or is it just the demise? Individual consciousness, definitely. I wouldn't be doing all my practice or none of these uh, spiritual teachers would be out there. So it's individual consciousness that changes. There are a few rare instances that I'm aware of whole cultures that became conscious and left en masse. They just enlightened (laughs) themselves. Those stories exist in Tibetan history for sure. But what's the need here? So the book title, Who Do We Choose to Be? Mm-hmm. We take we the take, operative word is choice. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. the three subtitles remain essential. So we have to face reality, and that's incredibly fearful and terrible and saddening. Stephen Jenkinson, who's a great philosopher, has written a lot about aging. He's a good teacher. He said, if you wake up to what's going on. At this time, you wake up with a sob. So our hearts are completely forever broken once we wake up to what's happening to so many people. So much devastation to other species, to habitat, and to us humans. You just read the headlines any day now. Every day. And it's just overwhelming. So... And then we're trying to attribute that. Every time I see something like this, we attribute it, oh, it's because we had COVID and people are not. Or everybody's losing their mind or something. Or the media is just feeding us bad news. Oh, that's a whole 39-year-old son the other day. Oh, come on, Nico. (laughs) Um, But once we face reality, then we make a decision. This is where choice comes in. Do I just want to withdraw like the majority of the population? This is called the age of distraction, the age of entertainment in the last stage, where people just get lost 
and Netflix get lost in entertainment. And it's self-protection. I actually understand that dynamic now. But if you want to play a role, if you want to be supportive, helpful, compassionate, and not just go for self-protection. So that's the choice. Am I going to go just to self-protect myself and my family? Or am I going to choose to want to serve this time? And then the question is, how do I serve this time? And that's where I come in as with, we need to think of ourselves as warriors. As you can see, there's so much wisdom here in this conversation. I hope you'll tune in next week to hear the rest of it. Thanks for listening. And always remember this. Every single moment, you have a choice in what you say, what you do, and how you make people feel. Pause and make those choices wisely and intentionally. Because every single moment, those choices are who you become as a leader. See you next time.